This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Our next topic is androgen deprivation therapy resistant non-metastatic prostate cancer, which will allow us to integrate a number of the concepts that we've heard about this morning and yesterday. So from this morning, recall that a PSA recurrence is, happens after following definitive local therapy with surgery or radiation in some patients. And the source of a PSA recurrence may not always be apparent, even when we use a PSMA PET scan. And you've seen some lovely examples this morning. This scenario has been termed non-metastatic or PSA-only recurrent prostate cancer. As we've heard, if additional local therapy is not feasible, so for example, after surgery, if radiation has already been done or it can't be done, in some of these non-metastatic recurrent prostate cancer patients, ADT, androgen deprivation therapy, is in fact an appropriate therapeutic option. Now, as we learned uh, yesterday, with regards to androgen deprivation therapy, testosterone is fuel for growth of the prostate cancer. And there are two sources of testosterone, as we discussed yesterday, the testicles and the adrenal glands. Testosterone that comes from the testicles can be eliminated by androgen deprivation therapy. And here are the medicines that we discussed yesterday. And historically, we would term elimination of testosterone from the testicles ADT, uh, or the very first treatment that we would use in this setting. Now, unfortunately, eventually ADT resistance happens. So prostate cancer cells develop a resistance to the ADT. They learn how to grow in a low testosterone environment. And we term this cancer a mouthful, ADT-resistant prostate cancer, or androgen deprivation therapy-resistant prostate cancer. Now, while that is the appropriate term for this uh, syndrome, I do want people in the audience to know that there is a very unfortunate term that is used as an abbreviation out there, which is CRPC, which stands for castration-resistant prostate cancer. And this really harkens back to the days of Charles Huggins that we talked about yesterday, where surgical uh, orchiectomy was the way ADT was done. And unfortunately, the name has stuck. Uh, and so you, your physicians, and you'll hear people use CRPC as a term. Uh, but it really refers to ADT resistance uh, in prostate cancer cells. And really, it's characterized by prostate cancer cells that have developed the ability to live on the very small amount of testosterone that's floating around that's produced by the adrenal glands because the testicles have been taken care of already by the ADT. And this has led to the development of a number of androgen signaling inhibitors, or ASIs, that eliminate the contribution of adrenal androgens uh, and that typically are used as treatment number two following treatment number one with ADT. And again, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. And here's sort of the diagram 
of the medicines that are used, the ASIs, uh, that are used to block the uptake of testosterone into the prostate cancer, either enzalutamide, apalutamide, or daralutamide, or that simply prevent the adrenal glands from making the abiraterone in the first place, uh, the testosterone in the first place, and the medicine is called abiraterone. Now, putting these two concepts together, that of PSA recurrence and of using ADT for these patients. If patients with a PSA recurrence after local therapy are treated with long-term ADT, a very fair question to ask is, can they develop resistance to the ADT? And the answer is yes, unfortunately. And we term this disease non-metastatic, or NM for short, non-metastatic, ADT-resistant prostate cancer. And again, some people uh, will term this non-metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer, or NM-CRPC. And this is defined as patients who have a climbing PSA only, no evidence of cancer on conventional CAT scan or MRI of the abdomen and pelvis, or on the bone scan, and a low testosterone level. So you will note that this definition is based on conventional imaging, not fusiclovine PET, not PSMA PET. It's really sort of conventional imaging. So I want to convince you and show you that non-metastatic androgen deprivation therapy resistant prostate cancer is a very important clinical diagnosis to make. So with the, starting with the first bullet here, because the only evidence of prostate cancer is a detectable PSA, non-metastatic ADT-resistant prostate cancer patients have no symptoms. They don't have any symptoms because they don't have metastases. So it's really tempting to ignore the diagnosis. However, if we were to take 100 patients with non-metastatic ADT-resistant prostate cancer, Within two years, nearly half, 45, 45%, would have de either developed bone metastases or had died. So this is obviously not a benign disease that should be ignored. And as it turns out, in those patients that have a very rapid climb of their PSA, <coughs> excuse me, which is called a PSA doubling time, which is very short, the risk of developing metastases and death goes up very rapidly. And by contrast, patients with a very slow rate of climb, a long PSA doubling time, have a very low risk of developing metastases. I just want to uh, provide a caution that the PSA doubling time isn't something that we eyeball. You know, that we look at a PSA in one month and look at it six months later and see that it's doubled and call it a six month doubling time. It actually has to be calculated using many PSA values. And there are a number of very simple online calculators uh, to do this. I can certainly provide them to people if they're interested. Now, why is PSA DT, PSA doubling time, important? Well, I'd like to draw your attention to this graph. This is, I'll walk you through it. The Y axis over here going up indicates a relative risk for bone metastases or death, just an increasing risk. 
and 1.0 is standard risk, no increased risk. A number of three is a threefold risk of metastases. That's 10, 100, 1,000 risk. It's a high, high risk. On the y on the x-axis, excuse me, is the PSA doubling time, getting shorter and shorter, which means that the PSA is going up faster and faster. So a PSA doubling time of two months means that in two months, your PSA goes from one to two. A PSA doubling time of 20 months means that it takes 20 months to achieve the same thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what you can see from this graphic is that there's an inflection point at the red arrow at a PSA DT of around eight months, where there's a dramatic increase in the risk of developing bone metastases. Suddenly it starts going straight up. And so patients with a PSA doubling time of less than eight months, and we've said 10 months to provide a little cushion, are at the highest risk of developing bone metastases or dying. And so those obviously are the patients who we should be focusing on to treat. Whereas the patients over here at this back end of the curve, the risk is not that much higher. And so um, this is uh, so 1.6 is 60% higher than you would expect as opposed to three times as high. So this allows us to identify the patients who need treatment. Now, to harken back to the ASI discussion, these drugs are ideal drugs to use. We know that they work as treatment number two in ADT-resistant prostate cancer, I've told you that. And they have a very favorable side effect profile, which is really important because this is a group of men who, as we talked about, are starting out with no symptoms. And so it would be not great to have therapy that makes men who feel fine feel terrible, uh, even if it was of benefit. So these are particularly attractive drugs in that regard. So what can I tell you about these three drugs at the bottom? Extandi, Erlita, and Nubeca, enzalutamide, apalutamide, and darolutamide. These three have been tested in this group of patients. These three have been approved by the FDA. We've actually helped develop one of these here at UCSF. They are appropriate in men with a PSA doubling time that is shorter than 10 months. If it's longer than that, meaning that the PSA is climbing relatively slowly, it's probably less indicated because there's less of a risk of developing metastasis. And so the results from the clinical trials that tested these were really quite impressive. All of them delayed the time to metastases by two years, roughly. They all prolonged life. They all delayed the time to symptom uh, developing and symptomatic decline. They all have acceptable side effects, and none of them resulted in worsening in the patient-reported quality of life. So these drugs really did meet the bill in terms of uh, what we wanted them to accomplish. And most importantly, they delayed the time for metastasis and death. Now, the one last thing I want to talk about in, in, in this uh, section is, well, you know, we've defined these patients based on conventional scans, negative CAT scan or MRI and bone scan. 
And if they have those negative scans and they've got a short PSA doubling time, using one of these three agents makes a lot of sense. But what about if we do a PSMA PET? And here's an example of one from this morning. You will now know how to read these. And you can see here one, two, three spots, oops, excuse me, which light up one, two, three. Um, and so this is a patient who had normal CAT scan, normal bone scan, and now on PSMA PET scan has a small number of metastases. It turns out that a PSMA PET scan is almost always, is frequently positive in one location or another in these patients that have previously been called non-metastatic, just based on conventional imaging. And so the fact that the PSMA PET scan now is picking up these metastases that were always there doesn't change the fact that these agents, apalutamide, enzalutamide, daralutamide, still help these patients. And so that patients with non-metastatic androgen deprivation therapy-resistant prostate cancer on conventional imaging, but with detectable metastases by PSMA PET, are very likely to benefit from systemic therapy with these drugs. So a PSMA PET or Axumin PET in this setting should not deter us from using these agents. It does, as we discussed this morning, raise the question about whether we should be going after these spots with, for example, targeted radiation therapy. And that's actually the subject of a study ongoing at UCSF. It, targeted radiation has been shown to be useful in men with a climbing PSA in hormone-sensitive disease. But in this setting, once they're ABT-resistant, we don't know for sure, although it seems to be the case that it will be. So in summary, non-metastatic androgen deprivation therapy-resistant prostate cancer it is a very heterogeneous disease. But high-risk patients can be readily identified by a PSA doubling time. And patients with a PSA doubling time of less than eight to 10 months, more or less, are at very high risk of metastases or death. And there's many compelling reasons to treat these patients. It we can delay metastases, we can prolong life, we can delay the time to symptoms and we can avoid a declining uh, quality of life. And it turns out that apalutamide, enzalutamide and daralutamide are all able to achieve these goals. There's subtle differences between these drugs. We have our preferences, but uh, the differences are subtle. And lastly, the benefits of treating with a next generation ASI, which are the ones I just mentioned, likely doesn't change just because PSMA PET has happened to identify previous disease that was silent that we couldn't see on conventional imaging. So thank you very much for your attention. I know that that's a fairly complex field or area, and I trust that it has helped clarify, most importantly, the need to treat these patients. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.